Hi, I'm Nigel Campbell, editor of Jazz in the Islands magazine, with another episode of Island Jazz Chat, a podcast featuring conversations with Caribbean jazz and pan-jazz musicians based in the islands and the diaspora. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Island Jazz Chat. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with Barbadian saxophonist, contemporary saxophonist, Elan Trotman. He's here in Trinidad, and I thought we'd just capture him for some some conversation. Hi, Elan. How are you? Doing good, Camby. Camby. <laughs> yeah, so you're in Trinidad to do a couple of shows, and I just figured we'll just be able to catch you here, because it's fear, you're in and out, as it was. And I know that your next big thing is in October, which is your Barbados Jazz Excursion. But before we get there, just to all your listeners, give us a little bit of your history, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, born and raised in Barbados, I left to study in Boston with a full scholarship from the Barbados Ministry of Education. And I finished Berklee College of Music in 2001 with a bachelor degree in music education got hired as a teacher in Boston Public Schools, mm. and uh, about six years ago, I decided to take a break from teaching to pursue a career as a as a recording artist and as a touring musician, mm-hmm. um, so that's what I've been doing for the last six or seven years, just um, putting out some albums and building my brand as a, as a jazz saxophonist um, and also representing Barbados along the way. All the way. And you're on the contemporary jazz circuit. That's what people used to call smooth jazz. Is that that's the area that you're in? Yeah, definitely. I think um, that's the niche that I kind of settled in. Although I, I definitely, you know, try to bring as much of my roots to mm. that format without changing it too much. So, you know, I try to have some tropical rhythms and grooves mm. mixed in with my compositions to separate me from some of the other saxophone players, the I, fact that I'm from Barbados. Island Smooth, and as you speak about that, I always remember your album, Tropicality. That was on the Woodward Avenue album, um, label, if I remember correctly. Yes. That's an album that stuck out of my head because you had some great guests on it. I remember famously Peter White was on it. Yes. And that beautiful song, Trade Winds.
So you said you had a number of albums. How many albums are you up to now in your six years, or is it more than six years you've been recording? Um, the first album came out right when I finished Berkeley, so about 2002. I put out mm-hmm. an album called Memories, the debut, mm-hmm. and um, ever the since debut. then, that's good. <laughs> ever since then, I you know try to put out at least one album per year. Um, but I have I've had some band projects which are kind of like semi live recordings, and then I've had a Christmas album which I you know just did some you know digital release. So mm. I mean, in in retrospect, I I guess you could say I've put out about eight albums to date. Eight albums, and your latest album, if I remember, is the tribute to Marvin Gaye. Yes, my latest, dear Marvin. How did that come about? Um. You know, uh, I think as artists, you always have to keep reinventing yourself and, mm. you know, giving the listeners something fresh to anticipate. So, you know, I'm going to return to the island jazz. I was going to ask you, know, if, you're gonna, if you have abandoned islands, tropicality. No, 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 no that's, mm. I mean, that's, to me, I mean, it, it makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. I feel at home there and it's really how people perceive me, you know, mm-hmm. as as a as a jazz artist from the islands. Mm-hmm. But um the Marvin Gaye tribute was just an you know, a chance for me to study and interpret, you know, the music of a great, you know, great composer and artist and uh, also to celebrate his um eightieth what would have been his eightieth birthday. That's when the album was released this past April. Oh, okay that so that's a celebration almost uh, in terms of that. Definitely. Um, you just said something that, that caught my ear in terms of an island jazz musician that separates it from the, the, the rest of the contemporary musicians. From the Caribbean perspective, how difficult is it for a Caribbean musician who identifies as a Bajan to make it in that American scene? Um, it's It's more difficult if you try to, you know, sound like an American artist um, because mm-hmm. there's so many other people that are doing that at a high level mm-hmm. and um it's a very competitive industry so you know it's it's just, it's just easier to do what comes naturally mm-hmm. but finding a way to make it commercial and especially with radio because radio gets is very picky mm-hmm. if they hear stuff that is a little too organic you know too islandy mm-hmm. then they're not going to play it because they don't think it fits the format. So it's all about finding a happy medium. Um, and it took me a while um, to to find a sound that works where it still has the smooth and contemporary elements to it. Mm. But it definitely takes you to, you know, a tropical place. Which album broke it for you then, if, if that's the right word? Was it Tropicality? Tropicality only because I was able to collaborate with some of the mainstream smooth jazz artists like mm-hmm. Peter White and Jeff Lorber, mm-hmm. Nick Coleon. So having them 
you know, on songs that were produced by a Bajan producer like Nicholas Branker, mm-hmm. it kind of just brought both worlds together. Mm, I understand. Um, as I said, one of the things that we're trying to look at and we try to talk about certainly in this podcast is the idea of the business of music in the Caribbean, right? And as I said, um, 10 albums out, working the circuit in terms of touring. I know that you've done Jakarta, South Africa, Europe, North America in terms of your touring. And you, as I said, I think that you identify yourself as a Bajan. You did it certainly with the Tropicality album and even the one after, Live and Uncut. Yeah. Everybody seemed to have a represent their flag as it was. Let's be honest and let's have this conversation. How difficult, how easy is it? Do you have to be an American? Do you have to have an American address? What is the process for a Caribbean musician to get a toehold in the North American scene or in the contemporary jazz scene at least? Yeah, you, you, well, you have to be based there. It's, it's easier if you're there in the, in the mix of things, you know. And then, like, certain markets are even harder to break into the major markets like New York, Atlanta, Los Angeles. Mm. Because, like I said, it's such a, a big pond you know with with so many great artists that are doing what you're doing at a mm-hmm. high level so uh it's very competitive um but brandon you know you have to establish yourself if you start like in barbados for example you know you get to a point where you you've accomplished you know and earned the respect of your your peers and mm-hmm. then the the local promoters everybody knows who, who yeah. you are you're in high demand then you outgrow that and you start playing regionally in the surrounding mm-hmm. islands and then eventually you outgrow that and you know then i think that's the time when you you know that you're ready to you know to make be. your mark in in the states or beyond mm-hmm. but i don't think it's really possible to do that unless you've had success on a on, on the, the local the local scene first, and a regional level. I hear you. So, you, so you must do festivals, whatever festivals you do have left in the Caribbean. And in terms of recordings, well, you said you did your first record. You were still in Boston because you, once you graduated, you never bothered to come back. You got a job effectively right away. Yes, I've been been gone uh, since two thousand. Well, since nineteen ninety seven. Mm. But to answer your question, yes, having having a product. Um, mm. It all is all connected, you know, the branding, the the sound, your identity. Um, mm-hmm. If you have, it doesn't even have to be a full album. If you have an EP, three or four songs, mm-hmm. but you know, and if you can get radio airplay, even better. You know, it's it's costly, and you might not necessarily get on the charts the first couple of tries. But again, it's all about branding and visibility. So you have to invest in yourself and your brand too. You know, give yourself a chance to make it on a. On you a you just said level. it was costly. I mean, we've heard this story about getting airplay. You have to spend money to get airplay. Is that a fact or is that a secret? That's a fact. It's a fact. Yeah. Who do I you mean, have to pay? It, there's, <laughs> well, you know, independent artists now is easier to mm. to get radio airplay, um, but m- usually labels or you know artists that are signed they'll have a, a radio promoter that mm. will submit the music on your behalf because a lot of the program directors, they don't take unsolicited music. Mm. So if you can hire a radio promoter, they can service the single to a, to their database of stations. And then they also, part of their job, respo- their responsibility is to follow up, mm-hmm. make sure that the station has listened, received it, mm-hmm. they listened to it, consider adding it to the rotation if they do add it to the rotation, you want to try to get them to increase the, the spins so mm-hmm. you can get from low to medium rotation then to high rotation. And that's what will help you to work your way up the, um, the, the radio chart. The radio chart, as yeah. it was. Okay. 
the you started in 2001 you said as your first album and by the time you got what year was tropicality tropicality would have been probably about 2012 i think or 11 so about 10 years of working performing before you got that quote-unquote big break as it was yeah um well i had i think the this time around album was like 2008 or 2009 Mm. that was the first radio single uh, lovely day which kind of helped me to, you know, kind of knock on the doors of the contemporary jazz scene as a mm-hmm. recording artist. So in terms of that, I mean, you had your job still as a, as a school teacher during those early period, that early time in terms of recording. So you effectively had a day job. I had a day job and, you know, it got to a point where I had to make a decision because um, I was, as the gigs started to come in, you know, as, as the years progressed, mm. then I was taking more time off from teaching. I, I just, I had to make a decision because I wanted to be fair to mm-hmm. the students, you know, and I had to be true to myself to de- to decide, you know. Does this make sense or what, not? Yeah, what my passion is, at, you know, um, I love teaching. I still love, I have a great love for education, but mm. I really wanted to experience touring and, and performing on the big stage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with Berkeley, it's usually the, uh, the other way around where guys do two years and then end up going on the road and never finish. And never finish. Yeah, I know a whole set of major stars who've started Berkeley and out as yeah. it was. In terms of um, as a, where you're a student at Berkeley, um, who are your mentors, whether in the Caribbean or even North America, the world as it was in terms of jazz saxophone? Um, well, the, the person that really introduced me to, to jazz was Arturo Tappan. Because yeah. uh, he's a, you know, attend Berkeley and... Everybody in Trinidad knows Arturo. <laughs> he mentored a lot of the youngsters mm-hmm. in Barbados. So he helped me to get prepared for Berkeley as far as learning the uh, curriculum and getting the audition stuff together. Mm-hmm. So that definitely set me up to um, do some advanced placement once I got uh, accepted and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, other than Arturo, um, you know, I was listening to a lot of Najee, listening to a lot of Grove Washington Jr., listening to a lot of Kirk Whalum and Gerald Albright. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't until I got to Berkeley that I got a little deeper into the... Um, so you went into Bebop. John. Well, I was not going to ask. Went into John Coltrane or something. So yeah, definitely the first year at Berkeley um, is when I had more access to getting the mm-hmm. records and doing the jam sessions at Berkeley and learning the standards, all the Charlie Parker standards and mm-hmm. John Coltrane and Dizzy Gillespie and Sonny Rollins. Mm. So um, I didn't get too too deep into it. I got deep enough that I felt like I could handle myself or I could be true to the music and not mm-hmm. fake it. You know, I had enough information and vocabulary that I if I were to be in that setting that I could feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. But I would embarrass yourself. Yeah, but I wasn't gonna be putting out, you know, like straight ahead, mm-hmm. you know, traditional jazz albums because most of the people that influenced me were more on the contemporary side where they're fusing jazz with other Gro- styles. Grove was the king of smooth if I remember what he was like almost invented anything. 
Exactly. Yeah. Mm, so that's what he's, he's one of the pioneers that really, mm. you know, put the saxophone in the mainstream and mm. in the contemporary, you know, markets. Yeah, I hear you. All right. Um, so we fast forward to 2011, you said, is when Tropicality came out, right? And if I, if I understand it clearly, you were yes. distributing your own records. Um, I think I remember the thing that stuck out for me, aside from having the collaborations, was that you were on a label. I don't know if it's for distribution, if it's ownership of the masters. Woodward Avenue is the name of the album, label? Yeah, Woodward Avenue. Um, I was talking to Najee, and I said, you know, I've been putting out all my albums myself, but, you know, I think I need a little help with, you know, getting it out. Because at that time, they still had some physical CD mm. stores. Now, they, they don't have that many now. All Our records. <laughs> yeah, but before, you know, I said, well, I might need a little help in, with getting the product into these, you know, mm-hmm. these physical stores. Um, and also get a little bit more visibility with downloading and all that stuff. So he recommended Woodward Avenue. Mm. So they the album was already finished. Everything was produced. So they pretty, they pretty much just um, did the packaging and released it for me. Mm. And, and and as you said, it kind of broke you. Aside from having the collaborations, some of the songs actually took off. Because the one that sticks in my mind, of course, is Trade Winds, which is almost like your anthem. Yeah, definitely. Well, having Peter White on there made it a little mm. easier for, because the radio saw a familiar name on there, you know. Mm. So sometimes you have to invest in and and bring in, you know, some big names to, to help you get, mm. get over the hump. I hear you. Makes sense. Um, moving from, from from Tropicality, I know that you had, did an album called Live and Uncut, which impressed me in terms of... Um, you did some rearrangements of probably a couple of the older songs that you'd done on the early albums. And then the, one that, the other one that stuck out for me was one called, um, an album called Double Take, which, you, again, you kind of reinterpreted some of your older songs, but you introduced the steel pan. What took you so long? Well, you know, I think every artist goes through phases, you know, with the creativity and like you always have to try to keep it fresh. You know, I think I was more focused on finding my voice as a saxophone player. Mm-hmm. As far have as you my, found it as yet? Yeah, I definitely feel I found it. I feel in, like I'm in a good place where I can say what I need to say in my own mm-hmm. way, you know. Um, but once I felt like I was comfortable with the the horn itself and and mm-hmm. my sound this is the way I want to sound as this is the way I want to be identified as a saxophone player mm-hmm. then I felt it was time to bring in you know some supporting instruments and of course you know there's no other instrument that puts you in that tropical place you know better than the steel pan steel pan there you go um and you know I had already been exposed to a lot of you know records with Andy Norell and mm-hmm. you know the Caribbean Jazz Project and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, you know, it was just a matter of time before I was going to incorporate that into, you know, my, my sound. And you got, of course, Kareem the Dream Thompson, if I remember. Yeah, Kareem. Uh, I discovered him on YouTube and I just mm-hmm. stumbled across him. Um, so that also became a fixture as far as the live show, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I was able to pitch that as a, a band component. Um, Tropicality, not just an album, but also a band um, and a concept where it's, it embraces everything mm. tropical. And you still tour with that Tropicality band as it was? From time to time, I go back and forth, yeah. We, uh, mm-hmm. we just did a show in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, I took the band with me. Um, but again, you know, it's all based on demand. You know, some people might want the Marvin show. Some people mm-hmm. might want the Tropicality show. Some people might just want just the sax, you know. So it varies. It's good to have options. I was not going to say you have options. As you mentioned, Marvin, of course, coming forward to 2019, as you did say, um, we have the new Marvin Gaye tribute album, which is Dear Marvin, if I remember. Yes. Celebrating his 80th birthday. Yes. As it was. Um, once again on Woodward Avenue. So I, I'm assuming Woodward Avenue is either telling you to do something or you're telling Woodward Avenue. This is where I need to be to expand your market. Um, Why back with Woodward Avenue and not continue with your own label? So, you know, I was prepared to put this out independently and it was uh, just a last minute call I got from them. And Woodward Avenue is actually a street in Detroit. Mm. So, um, you know, Michigan and the Motown Records came out of Detroit. So uh, mm. they were very interested in supporting mm-hmm. the album just because of the connection to that state and that area. And that area. I hear you. As you're talking about your song, there's something else that I also noticed that, that you have endorsements from instrument makers. Yeah. How did that come about? I mean, how does how does an artist, a budding artist, get an endorsement? Or is it anybody can get an endorsement? Um, I think it's easier now because companies are looking for, you know, ambassadors to, to push push their brand. Um and especially now with social media you have, you know, people all over the world watching your videos and, you know, subscribing to mm-hmm. your channel and stuff like that. So um but again i think companies are looking for not just people that can play um or that are having successful careers but like i said you know someone who can be the face of of the company and and mm. make people want to say well wow i like his sound i wish i could sound like that you know mm-hmm. so um yeah the cannonball musical instruments they are based in utah mm-hmm. and they um un- endorse um Najee and um Marion Meadows, Eric Darius, um, Branford Marcellus. So um yeah, I was I was very humbled that they, you know, brought me on mm-hmm. on board and, you know, really support my career. They they do a lot to support the artists to help promote the music and then wonderful. they went the extra step by, you know, donating instruments for the foundation as well. Tell us a little bit of your foundation. If I remember it's clearly it's called Never Lose Your Drive. Yes. Tell me about the Never Lose Your Drive Foundation. Yeah, so the Never Lose Your Drive is a, it has two facets to it. Um, if you're into sports, you know that um, in golf, you have to have a good drive to score, uh, okay. to have a chance to win. So, golf analogy, okay. And I've, I'm a big golfer. Um, I do a lot of charity events that mm-hmm. support, you know, Jeffrey Osborne has a celebrity golf classic and um, a lot of artists and, you know, entrepreneurs, they use golf tournaments to raise awareness for like whatever cause they have. So mm. I started the Never Lose Your Drive Foundation with the golf tournament that happens during the Jazz Excursion Weekend. Mm-hmm. And the beneficiary for the foundation is the Head Start Music Program. So that's my cause, music education in Barbados for 
eight to eleven year olds mm -hmm. where they get free instruments and free music lessons mm -hmm. um, during the school year. So for about thirty six weeks out of the year, they just show up. They get uh, forty five to an hour, forty five minutes to an hour lesson in a group setting, mm -hmm. and all they have to do is sign up for the program, and uh, we raise the funds to make sure that all the uh, tutors are compensated. Okay, and and you said Cannonball pro provides the instruments. Yes, um, yeah, among other things, about fifty instruments um, that were donated from Cannonball. Wonderful. So Ilan Trotman, entrepreneur, artist, and philanthropist now. But I think there's another thing to add to your tag, Ilan Trotman, the jazz festival creator. Um, we know that you have your Barbados jazz excursion, as I said, October ninth to the fourteenth in twenty nineteen. I think it's your sixth. Um, it's the sixth edition of this event. Yes. Um, just give us a little bit of history in terms of what was your thinking that you said you wanted to have the first one. Why even have a jazz festival as opposed to just a concert? Well, the, the concept began as an opportunity for some of my close friends and fans to come to Barbados mm -hmm. and hang out for the weekend, and I would do some you know intimate performances for them. So the first year, I probably only had a group of about 30 people, 30 or 40 people. Mm -hmm. And it was very intimate. Um, and the Barbers Tourism and the government kind of caught wind of of this, you know, little event that I had put together. You brought some of your, your famous friends from famous musician friends down? Or was it no, The first fans? year was just me. I think I had used a local band. Mm. Um, um, but, you know, they just they saw potential in it. And okay. the fact that we lost our major jazz festival, you know, in, mm -hmm. back in like 90, early 90s. The 90s, yes. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the people were looking, the locals were also looking for an opportunity to, you know, get some more live jazz on the island. Mm -hmm. So every year it's it's grown and we brought in some bigger acts and expanded the roster. Mm -hmm. And we also do a lot more of the marketing and branding in North America to you know, entice people to buy plane tickets and book hotel rooms and make a, a, a mini vacation out of it. So you get the golf, you get the jazz, you get the island tours during the daytime. And um, so it's a, a little jazz getaway. So the excursion is uh, it's almost like a tourism product, which is kind of a trend throughout the Caribbean. You create this event and tourists, hopefully, are the ones who come. And of course, you have locals. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely tourism based for sure. Mm. Um and I consider myself an, an, an ambassador for, for Barbados, um, being based in Boston, but touring to, mm -hmm. you know, between 20 to 35 states and mm -hmm. in different countries throughout the year gives me an opportunity to play in front of, you know, thousands of people on a yearly basis. And you do this on behalf of the Barbados Tourist Board on some of these performances? Uh, I do a lot of promotional events for them. Okay, but you know me being the host of the jazz excursion, mm -hmm. you know I every time I step on stage is an opportunity for me to invite people to Barbados. So the jazz excursion is is just uh, a way to tie it all together uh, with my my branding and me being the host of the event. In terms of numbers, how many North American, how many foreigners come to the excursion every year? We last year, let's see, last year. Um, right now, our numbers are usually between three and four hundred mm -hmm. visitors. Um, that come to Barbados for, for a weekend of jazz. Yeah, that's excellent, actually. So, who are you having on your show this year? This year we have um, Jazz in Pink as an all female group. Um, the founder of that group, Jill, Gail Johnson, she's going to be performing alongside 
uh, Jasmine Gent, who's a female saxophonist from the Florida area. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be doing an all-ladies night um, along with Vonette Bigford from Trinidad. From Trinidad. And um, Avery Sunshine is the headliner for that night. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the opening night will be myself and Nicholas Branker. So we're giving mm-hmm. them a taste of Barbados, all Bajan artists. Mm-hmm. Saturday night we have um, Mike Phillips, who's a fellow saxophonist. Saxophone player, yeah. He um, performed in Trinidad um, last year, actually, yeah. Yeah, and then closing out, we have Jeffrey Osborne on Sunday night. On the wings of love. <laughs> Got you. So um, the jazz and the jazz excursion, sixth year, it's building. 2019, the Caribbean Tourism Organization considered 2019 to be the year of festivals. And they cited all the festivals, including carnivals, and I'm sure they'll pick all the smaller festivals like yours. Um, you see your event continuing annually because, you know, as you said, Barbados Jazz Festival closed down after so many years. Do you see a future for this in terms of what your vision is for the festival and for Barbados and for yourself and your brand? Yeah, I, I would like. I would like for it too. I mean, you you know, these things you have to take it year by year because there's just so many other factors, you know. So, um, of course, the Barbados Tourism is the main sponsor, the title sponsor. So without them, I really wouldn't be able to, you know, do what I need to do to get get the numbers to where they are. Have um, you ever looked for other, another sponsor to diversify your sponsorship? Because, as yeah. you said, Barbados Tourism could one day decide, well, no, we're going another direction. And yeah, the challenge with that is um, the sponsors they want to know that you know they get a return. You know, so for mm-hmm. the tourism, the return is you know the tourism you know directly heads, heads and beds heads <laughs> and beds and flights and you mm-hmm. know everybody gets benefits from that but a lot of sponsors may think you know well these people are coming in from florida or atlanta but then mm-hmm. they're leaving after four days so mm-hmm. what what's the return for us when they're gone you know mm-hmm. so it's just a that's a challenging part but like i said you know we take it year by year 2020 is supposed to be a big initiative for barbados as a whole um they have a initiative called we gathering where mm-hmm. they want to Make sure that everybody invites, you know, four or five, you know, people oh. to, to Barbados. To Barbados. Um, Interesting. So hopefully they will um, put some more support behind the uh, jazz excursion for 2020. Mm, I hear you. In terms of the direction of your music, um, you said you had done your tropicality thing. And of course, you're doing that kind of contemporary jazz, that smooth jazz, let's call it love and sax and love and sax and... I'm on an album you had that was kind of straight ahead smooth jazz as well and and now you have this kind of R&B jazz as you want to call it and thing but there was a period I remember you had an album called Electro Sax and another one called Incomparable yeah that was a kind of almost like a change in direction I mean you seem to be like a, a change you, you you find a niche and then you try something and it moves you, you don't seem to have a straight uh, this is just my observation mm. but um, what guided you to Electro Sax were you kind of fed up with tropicality what was What's the vision behind moving? Well, I mean, it's almost minimalist electronic kind of. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't see it as a huge change. I mean, that those two albums that you mentioned were more produced, more electronic, as opposed to having a live, mm-hmm. organic instrumentation, real musicians. Mm-hmm. But um, like I said, you know, I always, always try to experiment to keep keep it fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one common thing if you listen to the music carefully it still has an element of tropicality to it Mm -hmm. so the beats 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you can hear a lot more like reggaeton and um, mm. even like house music and elect- electronic music. Mm-hmm. It still has a lot of overtones of, of you know, like the reggaeton and calypsos, but just more in a more electronic and computerized form. I think one of the things that inspired me to do to go in that direction was hearing a lot of the American artists using our rhythms, like Justin Bieber. You know, the last <laughs> album he put out, songs like "Sorry" and all these yeah, songs. Yeah, Soka trying that. That's why I'm a fit yeah. for that. Yeah, this so one singing Soka. Well, if they can do it, you know, mm. uh, we should be able to do it because it's our music. Yeah. Um. So I got producers, young producers who, mm-hmm. you know, had all the sounds and the samples mm-hmm. that can create that. You know that that radio pop that yeah. pop sound but again you know keeping that roots keeping some element of the roots the island you know tropicality mm-hmm. influences with the backbeat you still have a little calypso soca reggaeton mm-hmm. um latin mm-hmm. afro-caribbean it's mm-hmm. still it's still there it's so. still there and then of course with the melodies i just you know the sax helps to smooth it out um mm-hmm. so it's still you know still considered smooth jazz or contemporary jazz just fused with with different rhythms and you know, different grooves i hear you well ilan you know this has been a pretty wide-ranging conversation in terms of festivals in terms of your business in terms of the brand ilan trotman um 10 albums down the road in a number of years tropicality smooth jazz covers smooth jazz straight smooth jazz you say you're not going to do john coltrane that's not that's not your forte no it's just yeah for me it it, you know it's it's not a a a passion you know i'm not Mm. so deeply in love with it i can appreciate it but i actually have a demo which you know maybe get released one day of Mm. um three rihanna songs Mm -hmm. that i did that's with true. a jazz with a jazz quartet with a uh, acoustic bass and mm-hmm. acoustic piano and then i also have another demo of about eight standards with an organ trio mm-hmm. I did giant steps donna lee um some popular standards but it's unreleased i just have it sitting in a vault somewhere <laughs> is it because you don't want to, to sell your brand or is it that you could go on the other names i don't have a, a pseudonym or something so because um, I know that technically, this is one of the things that I've, I've a number of audience members have, have heard you in Trinidad have said that technically you're an excellent player. It's not like you don't know how to play the instrument. You're technically good. You know your craft and you know the music theory so that you improvs and a joke you improvs. Yeah. So that um, first to listen to you playing Donnelly or, or, or Giant Steps it doesn't seem out of the, out of the ordinary. Yeah. Is that are you? It's just a time a timing thing, mm. you know, because you work so hard to build up consistency. As far as you know, I I pushed the tropicality thing for a while, mm-hmm. um, so it just wasn't the right time. But you know, at the end of the day, I think the ultimate goal is to leave as much music mm-hmm. as your legacy. That when you when mm-hmm. we're long gone, that it's the next generation will be able to appreciate the the you know the catalog that you left behind. It's all about the business, it's all about the brand, it's all about your legacy. Land Trotman, thank you for talking to me and 
Welcome back to Trinidad and we'll see you in Barbados in October the 9th to the 14th. All right. All right then. Thanks. Cool. Island Jazz Chat has been a production of Jazz in the Islands magazine, powered by iRadio.tt.